Do you have friends that are poisoning you? I don't mean they're sneaking arsenic into your food. I mean their toxic behavior is hurting you. Hey friends, I'm Mark Allen Chelsky, and this is The Apprenticeship Way, a podcast about learning how to live life with Jesus. This is episode nine, How to Spot Poisonous Friends. I've had a few relationships that were so painful and confusing to me. They were painful and then I was confused because aren't friends supposed to care for one another? Aren't friendships supposed to make our lives better? Especially, especially if the friends are Christian people, right? And then maybe you begin to feel weird withdrawing. It's painful to hang out with them, but then you feel like maybe you're not being a good friend. I had one relationship like this over the course of about two years that got so toxic. At one point, I literally started thinking that maybe the only way to change my situation was to pack up my family and move away. That wasn't a fantasy. I was literally starting to plan for that. It was that bad. And so today, I'm really excited to share with you something different from what we normally do. Normally, the apprenticeship way is all spoken word. I'm talking with you, sharing stuff that I'm learning that I think will be helpful to you in your intentional life of spiritual growth. But today we're doing something different. I want you to meet a friend of mine, somebody you should know. Her name is Mary Demuth, and she's written a helpful little book that talks about this very problem, how to see the toxic friends in your life and what to do about them in a way that's more mature and honoring and maybe even Christ-like. And so today we're going to do the very first ever Apprenticeship Way interview, a bonus episode, if you will, uh, where you get to meet and hear from Mary Demuth. All right, well, I am very excited today because I get to introduce friends. I have some friends who listen to my podcast or watch my podcast that are people that are interested in intentional spiritual growth and the practices that can nurture a real relationship with Jesus. We live in a busy, fragmented world, and it takes some attention to grow in this area of our life. It doesn't happen by accident. And then I have this other friend, Mary Demuth, and I want you all to meet each other. And I'm excited to have the opportunity to introduce you. So Mary, welcome. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Uh, Mary, for those of you who may not know, and you should know if you don't, uh, Mary's a writer and has been a writer for a long time. We're what, 36 books now? Is that right? Uh, yes, that's correct. So publishing for 12 years, but been writing for a lot longer. Yeah. So lots of books, uh, but more than being an experienced writer, uh, Mary has a heart for helping people grow, particularly, I think, helping people grow past trauma in their life. And uh, that is really exciting to me. That's an area that I care uh, deeply about. Um, and so some of Mary's recent writing endeavors have focused on this. Uh, a couple of years ago, uh, you uh, published a book called Not Marked, Finding Hope and Healing After Sexual Abuse, which has become one of my go-to book recommendations when, as a pastor, I come in contact with somebody who's dealing with unresolved trauma from sexual abuse. And so that's a, a book of Mary's that I highly recommend. Um, and right now, Mary's in the process of launching another book that focuses on a very practical aspect of life with an eye towards growth, The Seven Deadly Friendships, How to Heal When Painful Relationships Eat Away at Your Joy. So that's what we're going to talk about. Mary, can you give us the kind of back cover summary of Seven Deadly Friendships. What is this book about and who should be reading it? Well, anyone who has a friend should read it. Okay, good. <laughs> but particularly if you've, I guess most of us, unless you're a recluse, 
Uh, but particularly people who have been struggling in their friendships, or maybe they look back over some really haunting friendships and they wonder why they got there, why they had that, and what was the demise of that. And um, kind of the thumbnail reason as to why I wrote it was that I'd had a couple of friendship breakups that were just devastating to me. And I didn't even really have the words to talk about it. And Mm. there wasn't really language for my friends and I to talk about it. And there were divorce recovery books out there for when you break up with a spouse, right, right. but there was no like friendship breakup recovery books. And so this book became the book I needed to read to understand why I was pursuing toxic relationships. What did I have to do with that? Like, it's not just about mm-hmm. them. It's also about me. And then how do you move on after relational heartache? And what I'm finding in the church is that we we only grow through other people. I mean, we, we don't grow in isolation. So right, when we are hurt right. a lot, we tend to isolate and then we don't grow. And so this is my kind of gift to the body of Christ to help us re-engage back in community into safe community so that we can actually grow. It's interesting because this book, right, your, your topic is friendship. So that means that immediately your audience is universal, right? Everybody has friends. And in some ways, I think there's a little bit of a hurdle because friendship is something that we've we've all been making friends since we could talk, right? It's something that we all sort of feel like, of course, we know how friendships work. We've been having friendships since we were children. We've navigated friendships. So why do we need a book on friendships? And yet at the same time, as much as we think we understand friendships, a lot of us consistently find ourselves in difficult or toxic friendships. So why do you think that is? Why is it such a problem for us? I just don't think we're talking about it. I don't think we're, uh, I think we look at things like there's business books about toxic business business relationships. Mm -hmm. And of course there's, you know, romantic books about toxic romantic relationships, but just not a lot is written about just our day-to-day friendships. Even now I'm dealing in the, you know, dealing with a whiplash of a negative broken up friendship and I'm still broken about it. It's been almost yeah. a year now. And yeah. like I said, I just don't think we have the language to talk about it. Hmm. Now you're a Christian and uh, oftentimes you write for a Christian audience. Uh, this book really, well, this book I think would be helpful to anybody. This book is written with a Christian audience mm-hmm. in mind. You reference scripture and you use Jesus as an example for kind of debugging how friendships work. Do you think there's something about Christianity or about the church or about church culture that makes us particularly susceptible to toxic friendships? Yes, so much, because we are taught in church that we should automatically convey trust onto people um, because they are inside that building. And so Mm -hmm, because you've walked inside that building, Therefore, everyone inside that building, even though I would argue a church is not a building, but (laughs) every, every time you walk inside that building, you are supposed to convey trust to those people. We even planted a church with people who were not good people to plant a church with. And I conveyed trust. I I automatically trusted. I went all in to Mm -hmm. Christian leaders because that assumption was there. If they have the moniker of Christian, then they can be trusted. And I think that's why we have a revolving door in our churches, a back door Mm. of people leaving because they've been so hurt by so-called Christ followers who didn't act at all like Jesus in relationships. So yeah, to answer your question, yes. (laughs) yes. I mean, it seems like then that there's this sort of expectation that now you're Christian, 
you're going to behave like you're going to be a trustworthy person. I mean, you mentioned in the book and I was thinking of this almost almost at the part where you mentioned it. It came into my mind as <laughs> as I turned the page, I was thinking of that old song we sang at summer camp, you know, the Michael W. Smith song, you know, friends are friends forever <laughs> if the Lord's the Lord of them. And you know, I have all of these visceral memories of standing around the campfire circle with the camp staff from that week and all the kids and we'd sing this song and there would, you know, people would be crying like we're going to see each other in heaven and all that. And so there's that ethos that we're friends in Jesus and that automatically then jumps us to the highest level of intimacy and trust. And we don't have to worry about any of these other things. We underplay the power of sin in people's lives. We also underplay the power of deception especially in today's culture, because we have become even better at creating personas and facades. It's mm. very easy to do on social media. Right. I could create all sorts of things about myself and live inside my house where no one knew me. And uh, therefore, when I'm in relationship with people, I could act really unbecomingly that didn't match up with my persona, but my persona is intact. So right. we have to be super careful about that. Right. And so we, we've, we're beginning, I think the church is beginning to get awareness of this around things like, uh, you know, protecting our children from predators, right? So most churches now are starting to yeah. have practices and procedures and background checks and all of those tools that you use to make sure kids are safe. And we think about it in that context, but it doesn't seem like we're ever having conversations about how to be a safe friend and how to have safe friendships. Right. And we don't. So that's, you know, one of the reasons I wrote the book and I, it is, although it is written for a Christian audience, I think there is a lot of wisdom that's in there, not from me, but um, the whole book is based on the seven deadly sins, which many people know about whether they're mm -hmm. um, following Christ or not. And, you know, we, I don't know if you've had this experience, but I've read that list a lot of times in Proverbs six and I just always think of it as kind of ethereal, you know, like sure. theory or whatever, or things that happen out there in the world. But all of those seven sins are relational sins. Mm, they happen right. in the context of relationship. You can't lie. I mean, I guess you can lie to yourself, but that's also a relationship with right. yourself. Sure. But you need sure. someone else to lie to. You need someone else to deceive. You need someone else to prey upon. Right. And it takes two or a group of people to experience these sins. You know, these are real things and real relationships that we deal with feet on the ground. Yeah. And we need to become more aware of predatory people, of narcissistic people, so that we can protect our hearts. Because I believe too, that we are also made in the image of God. So if I see in the image of God, you, so I see the image of God upon you, I'm going to be you know, looking for that in you, but I also forget that it's on me. Um, mm. I bear the image of God. Therefore I have to love me and have to protect me from predators. Mm, interesting. Um, so many times I've spent my life, you know, just worrying about everybody else. Yeah. And then now I'm like, Oh wait, I'm one of the image bearers too. Therefore I am worthy of being protected you identify these different types of toxic friendships. And you mentioned just now that they're based on the seven deadly sins. And so you kind of create these caricatures to help model and understand uh, different kinds of toxic friendships. And, and so in one of them, uh, the unreliable Uma character, you, you wrote this, you said, reliable friends love your no as much as they love your yes. And that I underlined a whole bunch um, and then the rest of that paragraph, they understand you are an autonomous person loved by Jesus 
who gets to say what you do and don't want. You may not always make your friends happy by saying no, but to the degree in which a friend pushes against your no is the possible degree that they may become a problematic relationship in the future. Uh, can you can you unpack that a little bit? That felt really important to me and really crucial, not just for that one particular kind of friendship, but really for all the toxic friendships. Yeah, that idea uh, birthed from, I believe, Dr. Henry Cloud in either Changes That Heal or Boundaries. I can't remember which one, where it came from, the, talking about loving your no and loving your yes. And uh, it has been... Um, really helpful to me. It's a really nice tool to be able, able to say, when I push back against a friend and say, no, I can't do that. Or no, I, I'm not going to, you know, participate in whatever it is that you're asking. Um, a good friend will be like, oh, okay, that's great. You know, mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Or I right. wish we could get together another time or whatever, but it's, that's just normal friendship. But if, if you're in a manipulative or controlling relationship, they won't, they won't love that. No. Yeah. It's important that you, it's kind of a little, um, it's a little indication of something's not quite right. Yeah. And, and so you mentioned, uh, Dr. Cloud and, and so that's really getting at this issue of boundaries, right? That, that if I'm in healthy relationships, mm -hmm. the boundaries between us are going to be honored. And if, and we're not just talking about a stranger, we're talking about a friend. And so I think that's where your that statement that was so powerful that your friend is going to love your no, right? Because loving your no means loving your boundary, like that they appreciate and value yeah, yeah. that you have this boundary in your life. So let's jump back to the church question. Does the church help us know how to have boundaries? What's your experience on that question? I think it's getting better, but you'll see things happening both in the church and in families um, where you, maybe you'll have a child who's reticent to give somebody a hug mm -hmm, right. and will say, you should just go ahead and hug that person come on, don't be rude. And not realizing that if a child doesn't want to hug someone, they don't have to hug someone. They yeah. don't have to, they don't have to do that. But we, we, uh, under the guise of politeness, we have created these rules that we must always participate in every activity or, you know, even social norm, like a hug, uh -huh. um, because that's the right thing to do. That's what fellowship is. And right. so we, we forget that there's traumatized people out there who uh, even a side hug is too much. And mm. we have to recognize that that is a personal boundary that we all can create. Yeah. So that, so then if you had that, you talked before about how the church kind of creates this picture that we trust everyone who's in. So everybody who's wearing the label, we automatically trust. And then if we have this uh, social norm of being um, nice to one another, right. And mm -hmm. nice and nice means never creating an awkward moment for somebody else. Right, right. Right. Then, then we're stuck in that place. Right. And if you're that person who's been traumatized, what do you do if it's not good for you to hug someone in the lobby of the church? Right. <laughs> That's where we really need to grant some grace to people, um, who, who just are different and have, yeah. have, you know, different experiences. I think today in today's world, we've lost the art of empathy. Hmm. We've lost the art of listening. And we judge the world by our own worldview colored glasses. And so therefore, we can't see the perspective of the other. And I think that's the reason why we're having really toxic friendships is that we're just, we're not trying to understand the other. We're just yelling at one another our opinions, which is not relationship. That's just <laughs> right. yelling. Right. 
how do we get untrapped uh, when we have a toxic <laughs> relationship? We just sing Kumbaya <laughs> around the campfire and yes. hold hands. And it's awesome. Yeah. Good. Perfect. That's all you have to do. It's very simple. <laughs> yeah. Drink our tea with one another. <laughs> That's and right. It's all good. <laughs> Um, well, I, in the book, I walk the reader through two particular biblical characters. One is Joseph and one is Jesus from the New Testament, because of course, you know, Jesus is going to be the Sunday school answer to everything. But both of those, um, both of those people encountered each of the seven deadly friendships. And so, but they both got through to the other side. And so I feel like they were really good examples to teach us, you know, what does it look like to live without bitterness? What does it look like to live with forgiveness? Um, Because, you know, I think we think that, especially when we think of Jesus, we think of only this nice guy who's, you know, kind of Dr. Phyllis or something, (laughs) just like, (laughs) you know, this nice guy puts his arm around you, whatever. But he actually had some pretty harsh things to say to people. He had, he was, he spoke the truth. Yeah. And um, he wasn't always happy go lucky. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we need to remember it's okay to say things that are truth filled with grace and with love. And that, but I think in our culture, in our church culture, we are trained not to do that. And so um, we think that telling the truth is unloving, which is the mm. opposite of mm. actual what actual truth is. I don't like like hearing truth about myself from other people. I mean, just to be honest, I don't like to be confronted lovingly. Um, I certainly don't like to be confronted unlovingly and without grace, but, um, but when, even when it's lovingly, I don't like to hear that, but I look back on the, the change points in my life. Almost everyone was either from some sort of suffering I was going through or trauma or someone has dared to tell the truth to me about how I've reacted in relationships. And, and so it's important that we are willing to say the truth, but also to hear the truth. Um, you, this makes me think of something you said. I think I feel like this came up several times in the book. You said something, uh, one version or another of this idea, that how we are wounded is how we're healed. Um, mm-hmm. Talk about that. Yeah, so that heart of mine to keep people coming back into church, which I think can be a very healthy environment. It's not always, but it can be very healthy Um, I have to remember that Jesus uses the very thing that wounds us to heal us. And I'm not saying that, okay, well, you've been hurt by this toxic person. So go running back in with your arms wide open to Mr. or Mrs. Toxic and, you know, just jump right in and get abused. That's not it at all. But we, when we have been injured in negative community, I believe we have to walk into positive or safe community to experience that healing. When we were in France and we went through all sorts of things as church planters and we came back and I made a little vow. I was like, that's it. I'm done. No more Christian friends, no more Christian leader friends. This is the end. And we were coming home around Christmas time. We had nowhere to live, really no cars, no nothing. We're going to live in the corner of a barn, which is this little apartment. And as we came back um, to this place we'd never been to before, People had decorated the little apartment for Christmas. They had baked cookies. They had prepared beds. They had everything. And in that moment when I walked in, I knew God was saying to me, you have a choice. Mm. You can go ahead and put that wall up and say, no more. I don't trust anyone ever again. Or you can let these people who are kind hearted and giving be a part of the solution of winning you and wooing you back to community. And, you know, it wasn't easy. I didn't like jump right in right away, (laughs) of course. Um, I was so wounded, but that was the means by which I healed. 
from toxic community was good community. You, at the end of the book, you actually talk about some practices that we can use to sort of evaluate our relationships and not only our relationships, but evaluate ourselves. The first one of those I want to, I want to talk about. The first one of those was, um, uh, was it review your past? All yes. Right, let's, let's talk about that because multiple times in the book, when we're going through the different kinds of toxic friendships, you would make reference to the fact, sometimes even your own story, that the reason I want to be in a friendship with this person is because of something from my past. Well, I would not be set free uh, from pursuing predatory people or narcissistic people had I not examined this. I was raised uh, uh, in a home where there was a predator and there was a narcissist. Hmm. And I didn't know that I, at first I didn't realize that that was happening. And then second, once I was pursuing people like that, I didn't have some sort of internal aha of, oh, I'm pursuing predatory narcissists or narcissistic (laughs) predators because I have this incomplete need in my life. I mean, I just had no idea, but I just knew that I kept attracting these kinds of people. Well, there was this story that was incomplete. I was hoping that the people who raised me loved me Mm. and they did in their own broken way, but I didn't experience it as love. And so I was then hoping to find someone like them to love me, to prove that I was lovable. And so as long as I never let Jesus complete that story, meaning I am lovable just as an image bearer of God, um, I was going to keep looking to close the loop of this story with another person who is similar to my upbringing. And once I understood that, then I have been a lot better able to discern who people who are predatory or people who are narcissistic. Those were my two Achilles heels. Um, in fact, I was at a conference and there was someone speaking. And at the top of the page of my notes, I wrote NPD for narcissistic personality disorder. Cause I knew that I was like, Oh, I kind of want to work with this guy. And then I was like, no, I'm putting this at the top of my page because I need to remind myself I cannot work with someone like that because I know exactly how that will end. So, you know, I'm getting better at it, but that's why we have to examine our past. What is it in your past? What did you not receive from your parents or your your siblings or your grandparents? Or what did you receive from them Mm -hmm. that is causing you to want to complete a story that is incomplete? So what did that process look like for you? I mean, you didn't, you, you, you know, you're a kid, you know, just what you know. You love the people that you love. You don't understand why your life is the way that it is. And as kids, we take on our, on our own shoulders, the responsibility for stuff that happened to us in ways that isn't really rational. Right. And so then now years, years later, you're able to articulate what you just said. What did that process look like for you? How did you get into reviewing your past in a way that brought that light? That's a good question. I think, first of all, it was going through so many traumatic friendships that, I was at a pain point of why I need Mm -hmm. to figure this out. And so that part was helpful um, to have other people in my life who were safe people to help me make those connections. Because I think a lot of us are pretty lost. We're, um, as my friend Jim Rubart says, we are inside our salad dressing bottle. (laughs) We cannot read the ingredient level uh, label someone else on the outside can. We're just inside the bottle and hanging out. Yeah, right. That's a great picture. Regret, but yeah. uh, I needed other people to discover it for me. And even recently, a couple of years ago, I was in a, a, a relationship with a tempter Trevor, someone who was trying to get me to violate my conscience. And um, I could kind of see it, but kind of not. But I had to ask some friends outside of that relationship 
relationship and ask them and say, something's wonky. This is what I'm seeing. Can you see it? What do you see? And they helped me to discern it. So this just goes to show how important other good relationships are in our lives. That's a great segue. I wanted to ask you about the role that our relationships play in our spiritual growth. So let's talk about that. How do the toxic friendships impact our spiritual growth? I think they set us backwards. And like I've said, I think they cause us to go inward and to stay in some of those dark, painful places. Um, They cause us to question the goodness of our creator, because Mm -hmm. especially if that toxic friendship is based on someone who names the name of Christ, then it gets very confusing. And there's a huge conundrum there of what do I do with this? How do I, how do I wait a minute? (laughs) It gets very confusing. Like if, what if that person's a leader, a Christian leader, it gets even more confusing. So yeah, I think those toxic relationships can be detrimental. So then healthy friendships, what, what role do you feel like healthy friendships play in our practical spiritual growth? I think it's so intertwined. I mean, it's, it's like roots of the tree of our growth. Mm. It's so important. And I, you know, those verses about the verse about iron sharpening iron, it's very, very true. And my husband is the one who's said in the past, we grow, we don't grow in isolation. And um, he really believes that community is the way toward growth. And, you know, both he and I were definitely chewed up and spit out in, in community when we were church planters. And so for both of us, this has been a long journey of, of trusting and trusting again, and then having that trust violated and pushing on those little trust boundaries. But I would say by far the most growth I've had is praying with friends, talking it out, getting things out of me. You've heard me say before an untold story never heals, right? You need a recipient to that story. You need to have someone empathizing and listening to that story not just getting it out into the air, but into the air of relationship between two people. The the metaphor your friend said about the salad dressing bottle, that has a lot of insight because we can't see all the components that are making up what's going on in our particular response to the circumstance we're in right now. It takes somebody from the outside. And I think that's not just true about our difficult things. It's also true about good things. Like it's hard for me to see the image of God in me. It takes that other person to look at me and tell me, mm-hmm. I see you, right? I see God working in you. I see the gifts of the spirit in your life. I mean, that's, I think, one of the things that's been exciting in my relationship with you. You do that for people around you a lot. Even on social media, you're somebody who really goes out of your way mm. to call out good things in the life of the people around around you. And that to me is a really holy act. Like that is you being that mirror of God's presence in other people's lives. And that we we have to have that. We can't see that stuff easily on our own. It takes someone outside. No, I agree. I think uh, we need to do that. And so few people are. We need to do it. Yeah. So you've written this book. How is your posture towards potential friends different now? I am more cautious. Um, I don't, I used to always, I think because of loneliness or because I didn't, I was an only child. So I didn't really grow up around siblings. So my friendships became everything to me and I would Mm. jump headlong without even looking. So now I'm a lot more, I hope more wise and more discerning. And I let the relationship unfold slower 
and I don't convey that trust immediately. I test it a little bit with a little bit of a secret <laughs> and, um, hmm. and I, I watch the person a little bit on social media just to see how they are. I trust my gut a lot more than I used to. My gut was there. It was like saying no caution. Don't go, don't be a friend of that person. Look at this, look at that. And I'd be like, no, I'm just, I'm going to be so grace filled and I'm going to pursue this friend. And right. now I'm, I'm trusting my gut a lot more, which is really the Holy spirit warning me, you right. know, right. This one, be careful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It seems like that's the thing that we want, you know, to help raise our kids, to train our churches, to pay more attention to these clues that are there. Like how can we be better friends in a way that's healing for people? Uh, and that requires paying attention. So I am just, I'm really thankful that you've written this book. I, uh, multiple times as I was reading it, I thought to myself, how I want to convey what's in this book to my kids. You know, I have a 10 year old Mm. and a 12 year old. I want them to understand these things. And there was even part of the book where I was like, man, I need to call Mary and tell her she needs to write a kid's version of this book, you know? And And people have told me that, (laughs) (laughs) that I don't know if that's your thing or not, but I don't remember anyone ever sitting down with me and saying, here's what you need to understand about that, that motivation within you to connect with another human being and where that's coming from. And here's ways that that can be beneficial to you and ways that that can be hurtful to you. Did you ever have conversations like that? Never, never. And I think that's why I I keep getting it on social media. We write this one for teens because, and and I think you're right kids too, because we're just not taught that. And this is this hard won wisdom over many decades of life. And I wish, oh, I wish someone had pulled me aside and taught me this. I think this is actually part of discipleship, but we've just neglected it. Right. Yeah, it needs to be. It needs to be. And this book, I think, is a clear stake in the ground for that. This needs to be a matter of discipleship conversation, how we grow. Because your husband's right, we grow in relationship. And so if Mm -hmm. our relationship skills are either lacking or if there's something in us that draws us to unhealthy people, then we're just setting ourselves up for difficulty. But something like this, man, can save so much pain and agony. I just, I just really found it very helpful, and I'm thankful that you wrote it. Well, thanks so much. And if, if people are interested in like figuring out what is their, what, which one of those seven deadly friends they have, they can go to sevendeadlyfriendships.com with one person in mind. Don't think of like five deadly friendships, just one <laughs> and take the quiz and you'll find out if you've got like an unreliable Uma in your life or a con man Connor or whatever. So okay. uh, folks can have that discernment by just taking that quiz. Oh, say the URL again. It's sevendeadlyfriendships.com and it's either the number seven or it can be written out seven. Okay. And then they want the book. Where are they going to get the book? Um, from a drone in the sky. <laughs> it will yes. just pop out of the sky. <laughs> we live in the future. <laughs> We do. It's the Jetsons, which also dates me. Um, anywhere <laughs> books are sold, of course, Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Lifeway, uh, brick and mortar stores, all those places. Okay. And if people are interested in more of what you're writing about, where are they going to find you? MaryDemuth.com. And then if they are a writer and they want to write a book, I do some intensives and they can find out about that at BookLaunchMentor.com. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thanks so much. So was that helpful? I wish I'd had Mary's book a few years ago when I was dealing with that toxic relationship. And I'm sure that there are folks in my life, a few years back, 
Who would have found this book helpful in dealing with me when I was the toxic one? Relationships matter. They're a vital part of our life. But you don't have to stay in a relationship that's hurting you. Be clear. You can't offer the world something you don't have. And if you're losing yourself in a toxic relationship, that doesn't honor God or anyone. May you see clearly the impact your relationships are having on you, and may you find friendships that lift you up to be the very best self God made you to be. Thank you so much for listening. Well, I hope you found that helpful. From time to time, I run into people who've been really meaningful and helpful to me, and maybe they can be helpful to you too. Mary's one of those. So I think maybe in the future, we'll do little bonus episodes like this where you get to hear from wise people. But next time, we'll be back to our regularly scheduled programming. If you'd like to talk about this episode with me or with other people on the same kind of intentional journey, or if you'd like to find encouragement for this kind of spiritual life, I'd like you to consider joining the Apprenticeship Lab member community. It's eight bucks a month, and there you'll find a positive private community of people on this same journey. I'm there, we can talk, plus you'll get daily spiritual growth prompts, 30 short videos to help you in your spiritual life, a regular spiritual life Q&A, access to some great online courses for spiritual growth, and some other great things, all designed to help you learn how to do life with Jesus. If that sounds helpful to you, or if you just want to support what I'm doing, which allows me to make more material like this, Joining the Apprenticeship Lab member community is a great way to do that. If you haven't already, would you subscribe to this podcast? You can subscribe in iTunes and every other podcast app out there. You can also find a video version on my YouTube channel and subscribe there. And of course, you'll find show notes for today's episode with all the links that are mentioned at www.markallenshelsky.com forward slash TAW009. Until next time, remember, in this one present moment, you are loved. You are known, and you are not alone.